Well, good morning. For those of you who I have not met yet, my name is Ryan, and I have the privilege and honor of serving as college and online pastor here at Northway Church. And so I'm just really excited to be with you this morning and really excited to share and study God's Word with you this morning. So whenever I leave my wife Sarah in any capacity, I always try to leave saying, I love you. Now, there, there are several reasons for this, but one, and I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but if something were to happen to either of us, I would just want the last thing we say to each other to be, I love you. And I understand that you can't always control that. And I also understand that if that were not the case, that we still know and believe that each other love, that we love one another, but that's just something I try to do. But Sarah is what you would call an outward processor. So what that means is what comes into her head oftentimes very quickly comes out of her mouth. And so this is how our mornings tend to go. I get ready, get ready to leave for work, go and find her, kiss her goodbye, say, I love you. She says, I love you too. I begin to walk out and leave the room and head towards the garage. And then I hear her say, hey, did you feed the dog? I say, yes, I fed the dog. She's good to go. You don't have to worry about her. I love you. And she'll say, I love you too. Walking closer towards the, into the kitchen, towards the garage. And I hear, hey, did you take her out? Yes, I took her out. She's good to go. Uh, you don't have to worry about her. She's completely done. Don't worry about her. She's good. I love you. She says, I love you too. At that, this point, I get to the garage door, open the garage door, and I hear her say, hey, what time will you be home tonight? I say, I'll be home at six. Remember, I got that thing tonight. It'll be a little bit later, um, but I love you at this point because we're kind of screaming across the rooms at this point, and she says, I love you too. Stepping out of the door, and I hear ever so faintly through the walls, hey, you snored a lot last night. <laughs> to which I just reply, I love you. Hear her say it back, and I shut the door really quick before we can say anything else. Again, I know it's weird. I know I might be a little silly for doing that, but that's just something I try to do. And my guess is that if you were given the opportunity to craft your last words to someone that you care about, someone that you love uh, very deeply, you would want those words to be meaningful. You would want them to be something that they can take with them after you pass on, something that you, they can hold on to, something that might make them smile, make them happy, something that just might encourage them as they continue on. Now, here's why I tell you this. Is this morning we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and the letter of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written as he was facing certain death. And he wrote it as last words, his last testament to Timothy. So that's where we're going to be this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So you can get your Bibles out and turn to there, or it should be in the version message map as well under the events section. But before we dive into the text, I do want to give us a little bit of background to the verses that we're going to be reading. A little bit of insight to the situation that Paul is writing. So Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Now, Paul, he's been in prison before, but this time it was pretty severe. This time it was far worse. See, this time Paul was facing capital punishment. He was facing execution. And for Roman imprisonment, if you're facing this kind of punishment, then the, the imprisonment was far more severe. They took you, locked you away, you were under guard, you were physically shackled, and 
for the Roman government, they weren't going to spend a dime to keep these prisoners alive. And so these prisoners were dependent upon friends and upon allies to come and to take care of their physical needs, to feed them, to clothe them, to, to give them water. But then they're also dependent upon them to encourage them, to take care of their emotional needs because they're facing death. They're in less than ideal conditions, chained and shackled, imprisoned. And so Paul was in this prison. He was dependent upon his friends, his allies to help take care of him, to to take care of his physical and emotional needs. But what starts to happen for Paul is his friends, his allies, they start to leave him. They left and right start abandoning him in this situation. And there's two main reasons for that. One is in Roman culture, it was a, a matter of shame to be imprisoned. That you were looked down on and ostracized by the culture if you were subject to be shackled down like that, to be imprisoned. But it wasn't just a matter of shame for the person who was imprisoned. It was a matter of shame for anyone associated with them. And so if your friends, your allies, anyone associated with you, you would have been looked down on from the culture around. And so Paul's friends, his allies, these other people who he called brother and sister in Christ— They began to leave him and abandon him because they were the object of shame or they were feared that they would be the objects of shame. And the second reason is just a matter of fear. That if Paul is imprisoned and facing death because of his faith, then what's going to stop me from sharing that same fate? And so you have his friends, his allies, his brothers and sisters in Christ, they start leaving him and abandoning him, but they're not just walking away from Paul. They walk away from the Christian faith altogether. And so here you find Paul, he's suffering, he's in pain, he's drained, he's facing pretty much certain death, and it, he's all alone. In fact, it says the only person who's left with him out of all those people is Luke. And there in the state, he remembers Timothy. Now, Timothy was a dear friend of Paul's. When he came across Timothy, Timothy was a young man. He took Timothy under his wing, became like a mentor to him. But he was beyond just a mentor. He was a father figure to him. In 2 Timothy, he addresses Timothy as his beloved child. He cares deeply for him. He, he trusts him. He sends Timothy off to, these, to lead and guide these other churches. It says he wants Timothy to come and visit him before winter because he knows he doesn't have long left. And he hopes he can see him at least this one more time so he can be filled with joy. It says that the last time he even saw Timothy, Timothy's uh, eyes were filled with tears because of how much they care for one another. And so he thinks of Timothy, he hopes he can come and see him, but just in case he can't, he writes this letter to him. He writes this letter to, to instruct him in leading the church. Here, Timothy, being a young man and a leader in the church, he needed to learn how to continue on Paul's ministry, to uh, deal with some false teaching that was in the church at this time. But he wrote it to encourage him as well. As Timothy's about to travel a difficult road with his friend, his ally, his father figure, leaving this earth, He knew that he would be discouraged, that he had the chance to be down. He knew that he could be fearful for what might happen to him. That he could just be weary in general and tired, wondering where his strength would come come from to continue on. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage Timothy. But it's not just Timothy. It's for the whole church as well. 
Because while this letter is extremely personal, personal, it's for uh, the corporate body of believers as well to be read to encourage them. Because for them, they've had members in their church, leaders in their church, leaving and walking away and abandoning the faith. They have Paul, one of their leaders, one that they look up to and love, who's about to be martyred for the faith. And so they're weary, they're tired, they're discouraged, they're fearful of what might come for them. And so this letter was meant to instruct them and to encourage them too. And by extension, it's for us. That uh, what Paul says in the letter in chapter 3 is that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. That these words, they're not just meant for Timothy. They're not just meant for the church that Paul was writing to. They're meant for us as well. Each and every one of us, as we read the text this morning, can get something from it. For some of you in here, you have been followers of Christ for a while. And what you know to be true is that this life is difficult, even for Christ followers. And that as we travel this road, as we walk in this life, we can find ourselves similar to how they might have felt. We can find ourselves weary and tired and discouraged and fearful at times as well. Maybe you're weary from just life circumstances where you have, um, you've had difficulty in your job or difficulty finding a job or maybe just there's drama in your family or some of your friends are going through, through some things and you want to be there for them, but it's just wearing you out and you find yourself weak and weary, wondering how you're just going to be able to put one foot in front of the next. Maybe you're weary because you've been serving week in and week out in the church. You've been doing so much. You've been uh, serving on Sunday mornings or maybe you've been serving in some other capacity through a mission that we do like the warming center. And week in and week out, it's just weighing on you and draining you. And you're just like, is there any fruit coming from what I'm doing? I don't see any good coming from this sometimes. And it's just wearing me out. Or maybe you're weary from potential persecution that you're facing. Now, I know and understand that the persecution that we face in our culture is very different from the persecution that our brothers and sisters around the world face and our brothers and sisters throughout history have faced. But in our culture, it's not always easy to be a Christian. And so maybe you are fearful and weary and tired of being or in your work environment or your group of friends or even your family where it's difficult sometimes just to even believe what we say we believe. Or maybe you're weary because you've been trying to share the gospel with someone. You've been trying to share your faith. You've been praying for them. You've been trying to love them well and serve them well. And maybe you've even shared it with them. But it just seems like their heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And you just find yourself being discouraged. And maybe it's even a child that you've tried to raise up. You try to do all the things you're supposed to do to teach them to love Jesus. But they're just wayward and rebellious. And it breaks your heart and it weighs on you, and you just find yourself weary and exhausted. Or maybe it's even just because of sin, where you yourself have been uh, falling into a season where you've been falling away from the Lord, you've been disobedient, you've been giving way to sin in your life, and you've been trying to kind of fight, but you're not seeing victory over that sin, and it's weighing on you, and you feel just burdened and weighed down from guilt and shame. You're exhausted. For you, weary Christian, these words are good for you. They are here to encourage you, to show you where you're to find your strength. 
And also, if you're in here and you are a follower of Christ, but you don't feel that way, praise God, that's a good thing. If you feel passionate and rejuvenated and just excited, that's a really good thing. But no, you do have brothers and sisters around you who are weary and who are tired. And these words can be words you use to encourage them and to point them to the source of their joy. And it can also be used for you for one day when you do feel this way. You can tuck them away for a day that you do need them. And it's also useful for the seeker. Those of you who might be in here and you're like, I'm just checking this whole thing out. I don't know uh, if I believe all this stuff. I, I don't, I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm just kind of here. One, we're glad you're here. You are in the right place. But two, understand that these words are good and useful for you as well. And so I just want to encourage all of us, myself included, that as we read and break down these words, to place yourself under them, to open up your heart and allow them to to seep in and meditate and and think through what they're saying and what they say for your life. So we're going to be in verses 8 through 13. Now, immediately preceding these verses, Paul gives the uh, three illustrations to help Timothy understand and the church understand what he's saying. He gives the illustration of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. He says the soldier is single-minded and focused on his mission. He is focused on accomplishing the task. He's not distracted by civilian matters. He is focused on accomplishing what he set out to accomplish. He remains disciplined to the task at hand. The athlete, in the same way, is disciplined in his training, disciplined in competing, and hopes that he will receive a reward. The farmer is disciplined in laboring and uh, toiling and cultivating the ground and planting and one day hopes to receive a harvest. And so the the thread that he's trying to to plant here and to sow here is that uh, to say discipline, to persevere, to endure in hopes of something to come. And so that's the background leading into these verses. So let's just read these verses and then talk about them. Starting in verse 8, it says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So he starts off and he says, hey, remember, call to your memory. But he's not just saying just this one-time call to your memory. The tense here is saying an active calling to your memory. Continue to remember. Keep remembering. Day by day, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. The one who came and walked perfectly in this life the one who died on the cross for your sins and the one who God raised from the dead, just like I preached in my gospel, remember that, continue to remember that, draw that to your memory daily. In the beginning of chapter two, he says, he says be strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus. He says, I want you to be strengthened, Timothy, not by your own ability. I'm not saying be strengthened because you are strong enough in yourself. You are Be strengthened because you're a great teacher. You're a great leader. Be strengthened, church, because I know that you are just strong and you're going to persevere and endure. He says, no, be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. Be strengthened in what he did for you on the cross. Let his 
crucifixion and resurrection be the thing that you draw your power, your strength, your encouragement to continue on in this walk. Let that be the thing that you draw to your memory. Let that be the thing that springs you and propels you forward. Let that be the thing that strengthens you. But he says that this gospel, that Jesus proclaiming him, is why he's in chains. It's why he's imprisoned. He's been thrown in prison for his faith. He is being set to be executed because of his faith. But he says, Timothy, church, though I am bound and in chains and set to die, the word of God is not bound. They might have thrown me in here in hopes of stopping the spread and the advancement of this gospel message, but you need to know and you need to understand that they cannot do that. They have no authority to stop the word of God. His word, his gospel message, his message of the hope that is in Jesus Christ will continue on no matter what happens to me. He says, so for me, I'm willing to be imprisoned. I'm willing to even die. I'm willing to suffer anything and everything for the sake of the advancement of this gospel. That if it takes me being bound in chains and killed for my faith, for some to come and to know and to embrace this Jesus that I proclaim to you, to taste the salvation that comes through him, I'm willing to do it. It is well worth the cost. Because for him, Paul, he knew he had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. He knew that he was a sinner deserving of the wrath of God, but that when he turned to Jesus and embraced him, his sins were forgiven and he was given a new life. And he says, that new life is well worth the cost. He says, so Timothy, church, endure, persevere for the sake of this gospel message because it is well worth anything you give up. Is well worth any cost. Let that be the thing that propels you forward. Let that be the thing that you strive and pursue after. Let the gospel be the thing that you consistently call to your memory. And then he continues in verse 11 with this trustworthy saying. Now the saying is poetic, and even though we aren't reading the original Greek, we can still see the poetic nature of it with the rhythms in it. And it, it really is beautiful, and it's got some of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. So let's, let's walk through these verses. It says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, Paul's not necessarily speaking of a martyr's death here. Although we know that Paul would go on to do that. So will many of our brothers and sisters throughout time have done that. What he's speaking about is the time when he embraced Christ, when you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the death that takes place. It says that when you embrace Jesus, you have died with Christ. Something that is helpful, I think, in illustrating this and wrapping our, our minds around this concept is thinking about when you have kids. Now, for my wife Sarah and I, we don't have any children. So what that means is we do what we want, when we want, how we want to do it. We can go wherever we want to go, whenever we want to go, within reason. If we want to just go get a milkshake in the middle of the night, we'll go get a milkshake because that's what we do. We have the freedom to do that in our lives. We can put our time and our money and our resources to whatever we want to put that time, money, and resources towards. But what I've been told is when you have kids, that changes everything. 
that you can no longer do what you want, when you want, how you want to do it, that the old way of life is completely dead and gone because now this little human has completely interrupted everything in your life. That your time, your money, your resources begin to go into this child and keeping this child alive and keeping them from destruction. But it seems like their nature is just all for destruction because you put them in a room, they go for every outlet there is. And your job is to keep them from it. So your life begins to revolve around keeping this child alive, keeping this child going. You sacrifice endless time, money, and resources. You essentially die to your old way of life. However, what every parent I've ever talked to have said is they would not trade it for the world. Maybe an hour, but not for the world. <laughs> they said that that child drastically changes your life, but for the better. That the joy that you experience from this child far outweighs anything you could have ever given up. It far outweighs anything you even thought was possible. You didn't know it was possible to love something this much until you had that child, and you wouldn't give up that for the world. So yes, you absolutely died to your old way of life, but this new life that you received from this child is well worth anything you gave up. That's the picture of what Paul's saying here, is that when we embrace Jesus— it gives us a new life. There's a death, though. See, there was a point in our time when we lived how we wanted to live, when we did what we want, how we wanted, and when we wanted to do it. We were the ruler, the king, the decision maker of our own lives. We followed every sinful desire that we wanted. But then we came to the point where we realized that though I was a king, I was a king of destruction. That the sin in my life had offended an almighty God and I was deserving of his wrath and I was helpless to do anything to fix it. And so I looked upon Jesus and there I embraced Jesus and the old me died. The old me was dead and gone and was crucified with Christ on the cross. But when Jesus was raised to life on the third day, I was given a newness of life. That the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in me and it changed everything. That I am no longer the king, the ruler, the decision maker of my life, but Jesus is. And that in this life, uh, I get to live with him and walk with him because his Holy Spirit dwells with me. But then there will be a day or in eternity where I get to live with him forever. And that's the day that Paul is talking about here. He says, so whatever you face in this life, Christian, know that there is a better life to come. He says in 2 Timothy 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, Christian, be willing to persevere and endure because we know that this life is not the end for us. That there is a far sweeter life that is to come and that gives us the strength to push through whatever we may face in this life. He continues in verse 12, and he says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure, that's, that's the whole point of this passage, is to endure, to persevere, to carry on. He says, if we will continue on, we know that one day not only will we live with him, but we will reign alongside him. 
That was the, the picture in Genesis. When God created mankind, he didn't just toss them in the garden and say, hey, do whatever you want. He said, no, you have dominion, reign over the animals, you cultivate the earth, you be fruitful and multiply. They're given a task. They were made co-rulers with Christ. But humanity rejected that call and rejected their creator. But the promise is that one day for the Christian, those who are in Christ, they will not only live with Christ, but they will be restored as co-reigners and co-rulers with Christ. So he calls them to endure, to persevere. But then the tone changes in the second half of verse 12. It goes from encouragement and exhortation to warning. And he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now think about Paul's context here. Paul has been denied and rejected by countless of his friends. They've walked away from him, but they haven't just rejected and denied him and walked away from him. They've rejected and denied Christ. They've walked away from Jesus. And here's the truth. Every single one of our hearts is bent against God and towards our own rule. It's bent in rebellion against him that every man and woman who walked after uh, the fall, after Adam and Eve, has rebelled and rejected our creator God. We've sinned against an almighty God, we've offended almighty God, and we deserve his wrath. But God doesn't just send down wrath. In rich in his love and mercy, he sends Jesus. And Jesus walked uh, and lived the perfect life that we could not live. And being fully God, fully man, he went to the cross to die, to pay for the penalty of our sins because the debt that was incurred from our sins. But he doesn't just die on the cross. He dies and is placed in a tomb. And on the third day, God raised him to life with victory, conquering sin and conquering death. And the promise is that if we will embrace Jesus, and embrace this gospel message and believe in our heads that in who he is and what he did and believe that he died on the cross but that he didn't stay dead and that God raised him from the grave. If we will believe that on an intellectual level but then we will believe that on a personal level in our hearts that we are saved, that our sins forgiven, our sins crucified on the cross of Christ, that we walk in new life and that he has forgiven us and reconciled us and redeemed us and that one day we get to walk in glory in eternity forever and ever and ever living and reigning with our King Jesus. But he says, if we deny him and we reject this gospel message, then we're going to get exactly what we want. And that's an eternity and a life without him. And so he's pleading with them, embrace the gospel of Christ. Don't deny him. Don't reject this gospel. And he ends in verse 13 in the poem. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. As one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Now, there's two really uh, big principles we can take from this. One, this on a corporate level, was to encourage the whole church. Because remember the status of this church. They've had, they've had these people from among them leave and reject Christianity, reject Jesus. 
some of them even being leaders. And the, the thought process could have been, well, if they've left us and disowned Jesus, is Jesus going to disown us then? That if people in this church have walked away, then will God walk away from us? But the encouragement here, what Paul is saying is, the faithlessness of these people does not negate the faithfulness of your God. Your God sent Jesus to die on the cross to redeem his bride, the church, and he will not turn his back on her. He is committed to her faithfully for all eternity. He's committed to work through her. He will not turn his back. He will not reject you because of these faithless people. And it was meant to encourage the church and encourage the leadership. The second thing to pull from this, which is more personal, is that in this Christian walk, what we know to be true is that we so easy, easily give back into our rebellion. That we have the tendency to uh, give way to sin in our lives for a moment or for a season or maybe even for a prolonged season. But the encouragement here is that what Paul is saying is that though you were faithless, God still remains faithful to you. That your faithlessness does not negate or, or get rid of God's faithfulness. Because faithfulness is the very nature of God, and he cannot deny himself. What it tells us in, in Hebrews 6.13, he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater for whom to swear by, he swore by himself, because his nature is unchanging. A couple of years ago when my granddad was uh, battling cancer and was sick, I was visiting with him, and he had this big book on the state of Colorado. I don't know if it was a history book or what it was, but it was a big book with a bunch of old stuff in it, but he wanted to do, look at it, and so that's what we did. We looked at it, and we were flipping through the pages, and he gets to this, this black and white picture, and it's of this mountain range where they were trying to work the roads and try to build the roads and dig a tunnel, and they were doing all this work on this mountain range. And he said, what's so cool is that he had been to that spot. And he said, you can look with that picture in hand and look at the spot from where it was taken, and you can see how much over all these years, how much has changed. It's so different that the road is built, the, the foliage has changed, that things are so different. He said, but what is so incredible is that the mountains never changed. That you can still see the same shape and you can hold that picture. And though everything around it has changed, those mountains are the same as they were all those years ago. And he said, they're going to be the same tomorrow too. That's the picture of our God. His character, his nature is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And his faithfulness is not tethered to something that is changing or that can be taken away. His faithfulness is tethered to himself. And what that means is that though we are faithless, he is faithful to his promises to redeem us. He is faithful to forgive us of our sins. He is faithful to welcome us into eternity. He's faithful to continue to work through us. He's faithful to live with us forever, to reign with us. He is faithful to his promises. And so, weary Christian, who is battling sin and who is overwhelmed by the weight of their sin and, and the guilt and the shame they're feeling, you feel burdened and weighed down, understand that because of Jesus, you have the freedom 
to repent of your sins, to turn away, because your sins have no power and authority over you. They lost their power and authority over you when Jesus took them on on the cross. And so you can repent freely knowing that you are forgiven because your forgiveness comes from the unchanging character of God. He is faithful to forgive you. And he is faithful to continue to use you at advancing his gospel. And he will be faithful to welcome you into eternity. Weary Christian who's serving week in and week out and you just feel just overwhelmed and not knowing if what you're doing is, it even matters. You need to understand that you are a part of and serving in a church with the mission and the vision of for the gospel and for the city. And so what that means is everything you do, whatever task it may be, whatever role you serve in, is for advancing the kingdom of God. And what Paul says, that is well worth anything you're doing. And because of your service, because of what you do on a weekly basis, what might feel like even a thankless task at times, We get to see, just like last week, and celebrate life change from people going from death to life. And we get to celebrate baptism. And that's directly because of what you are doing. So be encouraged. Continue on. Push push through. Endure. Maybe you are weary from uh, whatever persecution you may face or just life circumstances or even from sharing the gospel. The encouragement for you is to draw your strength from the gospel of Christ. Remember daily what has been done for you. Remember the task that is at hand and run freely towards that. Run freely towards Christ, proclaiming the gospel by which you have been saved. And then finally, for the seeker. For you who are in here and you're just trying to figure out uh, what this whole Jesus thing is about. My hope and my prayer for you is that you would see the weight of your sin. You would see that you have offended a holy and almighty God and that you are deserving of his wrath. But I hope that you'll see the cross and that you'll see what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he took on your sins and that he was crucified and buried, but that he arose to life in victory over sin and over death and that if you would embrace that with your whole heart, if you embrace Jesus and this gospel message, that your sins can be forgiven and you will one day live and reign in eternity with Christ forever.